We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, good evening. You guys have your Bibles with you? All right, we're going to be in John chapter 9. John 9, and so... I know many of you guys, at least the men in here, from like he's saying, all the, the retreats we go on together. Um, some of you might be wondering uh, why we call it Calvary Chapel LEX. It seems like I need to explain that wherever we go that's not around the area. You know, people ask us, are you, in, are you actually in the airport? And uh, we're not in the airport. We're just we're right beside the airport. Um, I, I like Manny came up with the best idea ever. And maybe maybe we'll just call it LAX for that reason. His son asked him one time, Dad, why do they call it LAX? And uh, he says, Dad, uh, or he says, Son, uh, I don't know. He goes, It's in LA. So maybe it's like X drinkers, X LAX. I thought, That's cool. That works too, right? So, I mean, there's a bunch of X whatevers in our church. Such were some of you, right? But you've been washed and sanctified in the Lord and. And so, you know, look to the right or to the left. You don't have any idea who you're sitting next to right now and the way they used to live, right? So praise God they're saved now. Um, well, guys, chapter 9, it's interesting. I'm t- we're going through John in uh, our study on Sunday morning with our church. And I don't know, are you guys looking around, are you guys watching the world today? It's imploding, isn't it? I mean, this it's just crazy. Israel is, is more and more on its own. It uh, tells us in the last days that all nations will turn against her. We're, we're you know, Canada ourselves, we're, we're Israel's friend. Uh, but God still has a future for Israel. And if you're watching what's happening, they're, they're being more and more isolated. They're, they're having to defend themselves. Rockets, 160 rockets a day going into Israel. And uh, can you imagine if, the, if, that, if our neighbors did that to America? What would be our response? We, we would go after them with everything we had. Yet we're asking them to not do that. At least our, our leaders are. Uh, we watch ISIS take over, trying to make a caliphate uh, of the Islamic kingdom there through Syria down into Iraq. Uh, we're, I mean, we're watching our nation we're watching a president, and this isn't politics, this is biblical. We're watching a president just push a lot of immorality and praise immorality. And we've seen our nation change quickly, haven't we? I mean, things we would never think of as a child is approved of nowadays. And you're the weirdos <laughs> because you hold to the Bible now. Uh, we're watching the dollar go down. We're, we're watching the world go prophetic. That's scary if you kind of looking at it and you get caught up in it. But if you back up, God told us this would happen, didn't he? And there's going to be a man of peace that comes. People are going to be screaming, peace and safety, peace and safety, because it's even going to get worse. But I believe before that man can come on the scene, God is going to take the church out. It's called the rapture, the blessed hope. Then the man of sin will be revealed. And as we, as we look at this passage tonight, I've been praying about this church and just, what would you want to share, Lord? 
Would you we want me to share this or something else? And this was just on my heart because God's doing a work here. Every time I come, it seems that it's getting larger and larger and more people are getting saved. And, 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 and as that happens and a church starts to grow, God wants to utilize and mobilize everyone that comes into that church. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You know that? We're not to grow roots in our pews. We're not to be pew potatoes. You ever heard that? Just kind of sitting back and, you know, you might look around the church and go, why don't they ever do that? You know, I mean, that wall is so dirty. Who, who, who is the, the person that should clean the wall? And maybe the Holy Spirit would tap you and say, how about you? You see, when we, we, the Lord will show us things to do as we look around and we get our eyes on Him. That's really what I want to look at tonight. Read with me from verse 1, chapter 9 of John, down to verse 12, and then we'll come back. The reason why I, I said all that I said in the beginning is because this is going to show us how to be led and used of the Lord. Every Christian should want to be led and used of the Lord. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was, born, was, uh, was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not this he would, who sat and begged? And some said, this is, this is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. As we see this passage, what I, what I, if I were to give this a title, what I would say is opening blinded eyes. Not just one set of eyes, but I would say at least 11 eyes, 11 people's eyes, his disciples' eyes. As he's showing them how to see needs in the world and how to be led by him by Jesus himself. Notice first of all, it says as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man. You guys see that? In verse 1, who saw the blind man? Jesus. Who asked about the blind man? His disciples. Have you ever been walking down the street? They used to have these like uh, hidden camera shows where they'd show people, you know, doing funny things. Or, and one of them was where people were looking up in the sky, like 10 people looking up in the sky, so that when people walked by, they would all kind of like look up in the sky. They'd all stop. Have you ever seen somebody looking up in the sky and you just, what are they looking at kind of deal? Well, I imagine Jesus doing that with this man. There they were in the temple from chapter 8, and, and, and perhaps he was walking, or, but th there was a man, a blind man, that was begging. It says, Jesus saw him, but the disciples asked about him. Don't you think that's curious? That means that they had their eyes on Jesus. Where is he looking, right? 
They were watching where his eyes were going. So his eyes must have been fixed upon this man. As they're kind of looking at Jesus. They're kind of going, okay. And what they do next is start to ask about this man. The, the word there that he, it means saw, it actually means he has full knowledge of. Only the Son of God can do this. Only Jesus can do this. He was looking at this man. He saw this man. The word actually means he perceived everything about this guy. He knew the state of this man, how long he had been in this state. Only Jesus can know that, right? As he looks at your life, he knows every single thing about you. Everything about you. He, he knows what you're scared of. He knows what your needs are. He, he knows what you need in your life. And, and as he looks, this is, this is only something Jesus can do. But there's something disciples can do. And that is to find out where he is looking. Where's his, where are his eyes set? Jesus knew the condition of this man. He must have been staring at this man because it caused them to ask this question. And so the first thing I would want to say is this. If you want to be used of Jesus Christ, all ministry starts with Jesus Christ. Now that sounds very simple. It's like, oh, that's a duh kind of moment, right? But as you, you think about it, it's not just me coming up with a, a lot of good ideas. As, as Henry saying during the announcements, we can get busy as a church. We can get busy as a people. But is it led by God? You see, because I was a, a part of a church when, uh, once in my life as an assistant pastor that it, we didn't really pray about anything. The, the, the lead pastor would say, this is what we're going to do. And basically, we were spinning our wheels. People were exhausted and there wasn't really any fruit. It was just working hard for nothing. Now the key to doing the work of the ministry is to find out where God wants to work and get involved with that. Because then things happen. Then there's fruit at the end of that. So all true ministry begins with Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, where is he looking? Where are his eyes? What is he thinking about? Who is he thinking about? Where does he want to do a work? And as we start to see where he is focused, then we start to then ask questions about that because that's where God is going to do that work. Where, where his eyes are fixed. Whatever his attention is on. Jesus saw him. They asked questions about him. Now you and I might think, well, this isn't fair. I mean, Jesus was walking there. They could easily look at his eyes and see where he was Looking, right? I mean, because he was in the flesh. Is that true? So it would be easy for them to go, okay, where is he looking? And then get an idea. Okay, he's looking at this man. So obviously he, there's something about this man that, that we should be asking about. Well, how do you and I do this today? Where's Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. Well, as they had the, 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 the word in flesh, you and I have the living word, don't we? And, and this living word, God has the same heart towards people, the same desires for people, and wants to use you and me in the same way he wanted to use the disciples. So he's able to convey through his word the very heart of God. So as we look at this word, as we get into this word, and we attentively look at it, and the, the Holy Spirit will start to show us where his eyes are fixed. Maybe it's in our own life. You know, I think it starts there. As he looks at my life, he says, you know what, I want to do a work there. I, I want to change this in your life. But perhaps, you know, as we go along, we, we start to get vision for something in our life. We, we start to look around. We, 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 our hearts are being stirred to, to get involved in something. It may be children's ministry. It may be the worship team. It, it may be street evangelism. But 
you just you start to get stirred up a little bit, and you're like, man, can I get involved in that? Can I do that? And it's just something that's you're getting vision as we're seeking Him, as we're asking about Him. All of a sudden, you might see a need, you might see a ministry, you might see a person, a problem that you really never noticed before. And it's not we shouldn't set those things aside. We should kind of grab hold of those things a little bit and start to ask the Lord. You might be pulled or pushed towards something. You might wonder, why am I thinking about this so much? And why is this such a burden on my heart? You know, that's how God works. He, he lays things upon our heart. And then we're, we start to get that vision of the Lord and we start to ask about these things. And this is what I would say. Perk up when this happens. Because many times this is the Holy Spirit. Perk up when you start to get a burden on your heart. You start to see it, a person, a need, and you're just going, what's up with this? Why, why am I thinking about this so much? Uh, this, is the, this is the time when you should start to look upward. And that's the second thing that we see here. Is not only did they follow his eyes to see where he was looking, then what's the next thing they do is they started to ask him about it. You and I call that prayer, don't we? When we talk to the Lord in that prayer. I mean, they had him there and they could just talk to him. Where's he now? He's at the right hand of the Father. But he hears us just the same, doesn't he? I mean, the Lord hears you and me just as he heard those guys that were right next to him. He, you know, he, he, think, he knows our thoughts even before we think them, the Bible says. And so as we pray to him, as, as we're starting to see something, maybe a, a little burden, maybe a little fire in something, a, a need or something like that, and we start to pray about it. We, just, we start to ask God. We may not know everything, we, we may not even understand it all. We just start to ask him about it. And, and that's what they did. They, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? They just essentially started to pray, talking to the Lord about this guy that he's looking at. And as we talk to the Lord about these things, there will be a little more clarity into the things that the Lord will want to do. Pray about those things as they start to come into focus. The things you can't get off your heart, that person, that family, that, that ministry. Or perhaps, you, you know, you, man, I, I see a need there. Maybe, maybe God wants me to jump in. Often it's the leading of the Lord on your heart. If he doesn't show you anything, at least you prayed about it, right? I mean, you may have just had a, a, a burrito that day and, you know, you have lots of weird thoughts and, you know, you had weird dreams that night. But, but what if? What if? The Lord wants to do something. That's how Calvary Chapel LAX started. was just a burden. There's not a lot of Bible teaching churches. Now, I didn't think I was the guy to come on the scene and go, here I am, you know. But I, it was just a burden going, man, there's a lot of churches, but there's not a lot of Bible teaching churches. A lot of things happening, but where's the Bible? And so I came from a great tradition of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where we were taught the Word of God. And I didn't see that where we, were, where we were at over there in L.A. So we started to pray about it. And God says, hey, how about you? And we were done with L.A. We, we wanted to go back to Orange County. I wanted to go back to Huntington Beach, just surf. <laughs> but I started thinking about it. It started to grow in my heart as something that I wanted now. And my, I presented it to Amy, and I think she's like, okay. But then after about a week of praying, she's like, Let's do this. I think it's the Lord. 
And, and you step through those things. And he gives you more clarity as you go through. And he may show you further as you start to pray. Be prepared for that. Be prepared that if you're concerned with something, you pray about it, he just may be stirring you to get involved and to be used. He may be calling you to it. He may want to use you in it. And he will give you more clarity as you pray to him about it. As they prayed, they also listened. Jesus opened their blind eyes. You see, these are the eyes that I'm talking about. This guy, most of his story is from 13 on where he gets to speak. But from 1 through 12, Jesus heals this guy's eyes. But really, he's teaching his disciples something. He's opening their eyes to the needs around them and how to be led by him. You know, so as they speak to the Lord, you notice they also listen for his answers. This is important in prayer. Because prayer is not a one-way conversation. You know, sometimes we can get our list out. We can just go through our list. We close up that list and say, thank you, Lord. See you later. But the Lord would want us to wait upon him a little bit. As you pray about these things, give time. Give the Lord just a little time to, you know, in silence before him to show you something else. Maybe you're praying for that person. It's a little skewed, or that ministry is a little skewed. They didn't have it right, but at least they had the object right. You see what I'm saying? Their view of this man and why he was in this condition was completely wrong. But at least they're talking to God about it. And if you're talking to God about things in your life, things he's showing you, then he'll clarify things along the way if you listen to him. He'll start to clarify and speak to your heart. They were certain, these guys were certain that this man had, or his family had something to do with his situation. And because of that, you can kind of take a hands-off approach. Hey, you made your bed sleep in it kind of deal. Have you ever heard that? Have you guys ever heard that saying? Whatever, you basically, you, you, you did this, now deal with it. Now, if, if we can kind of just look at people like that, if we can look at society like that, then, then we can take a hands-off approach and not get involved, right? It's kind of a theoretical thing, idea. It's like, hey, you know what? One and one made two, and that's who you are right now, so too bad. That's the way they, their society was. But as they talked to Jesus about it, he had a different view of these people. He had a different view of this man. They, see, they, they thought either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned to be born blind. Does that sound nutty to you? But how would you be born blind? Who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. But in that culture, the rabbis, they had a, a teaching that you could actually sin in the womb. They believed that your soul was fully developed. Though your, your physical body wasn't, your soul was. Genesis 25, remember, was it Rebecca? She had the twins inside of her, Jacob and Esau. They were fighting, and God says, there's two nations inside of you. The older is going to serve the younger. And so they take passages like that and say, look, they're already fighting in the womb. So yeah, you, you can sin in the womb. Well, if it wasn't them, then it was mom and dad that caused this. I tell you, people still believe this stuff today. We have so many people, I don't know if it in this church, but in the last couple of years, so many people have lost babies in our church. Our assistant pastor lost a baby. Was, you know, just in tubes and you know, had a heart condition right out of the womb, and just a heartbreaker, heartbreaker. You know, another couple, that there was nothing suspicious about it, had this baby that dad was so proud, 
And, you know, he said he, he walked down. He, he just needed to get something to eat real quick because he was up there. Walks back, and there's, the room was in chaos. And this was after a full day of just holding this little baby, and the baby died. Others being born with, with issues in their life. And there's no doubt in my mind, because I talk to these people, the first thing they say is, I, this happened because of something I did in 1999. This happened because of I didn't have faith in something you know, way back here. And I'm like, no, that's not why it happened. That's not why it happened. In general, all physical problems are the result of Adam's sin. As you look around, this is something good to know as people of the Lord. As people say, well, why is there evil in the world? Why does this happen? Well, because there's sin in the world. And Adam's sin, he, he said, you will die. And so we have watching where people used to live 1,800 years. We're living 70 years now. It's not the way God had intended it. So as we look around and we see these effects, it's because there's sin in the world. But the good news is Jesus came to take care of this sin. And not only to take care of this sin, but then give us new bodies to get rid of these decaying bodies. And one day we will be glorified. Never again to deal with these things. But you can see that at this point, the disciples didn't see this man as an object of God's mercy, but rather the subject of a theological discussion. Kind of just, hey, let's just step back. Let's talk theoretically, uh, philosophically, or sociologically about this guy. That's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, you, you're watching all this stuff about the border right now. It's easy to kind of sit back and have theological discussions of, oh yeah, that you know people are, you know, there's sides. There's Jesus loving people on both sides, but man, you got to put yourself in the humanity. Yeah, we should have laws, but I, I look and I think I got a 14 year old, you know, baby girl, still my baby. I got a 19 year old son, but when they were five and eight years old, what would what would compel me or my, my, my daughter or my wife as a parent to send them alone? That tells me things are horrible. Horrible. Okay. So we, we need to see past this whole political discussion and see the humanity of people out there. That people are hurting, man. Whether they caused it or not, our job is to come into the situation and say, hey, what do you want me to do, Lord? And this is what Jesus is teaching these guys. Hey, quit talking about this guy. We're in Wearsby. I love what he says about this. He says, quote, It is much easier to discuss an abstract subject like sin than it is to minister to the concrete need in the life of a person. Isn't that true? Just to talk about these things, blog about these things, argue about these things. However, if you start to talk to the Lord about it, He'll take you from the abstract to the personal. This is what He's doing with the disciples. I mean, think about this. How easy it is in our life to kind of look at a situation like, like they did. Oh, Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents? And Jesus is like, no one sinned. Neither one of them sinned. I believe Jesus is saying, hey, I don't even want to talk about that. I'm here to help him. That's what I'm here to do. That's what we're here to do, right? We're watching this world implode, explode, whatever you want to say. Now we have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You want me to move to Kansas and, uh, and, and, and build some kind of retreat center and put walls around it and have M50 you know, uh, uh, machine guns all around it, protect myself? Or, or should I get involved in this world? Should I see what you want me to do for such a time as this? Man, you are the troops. 
God has called this church and you for a specific purpose. It's raised up because he wants to do a work through you. And our job, your job, is to find that out. Jesus helped him to see what he saw. You know what Jesus saw? He didn't see a philosophical discussion, a theological discussion. He saw a person. He saw a person that was born blind. He disagreed with their theory. It was neither this man nor his parents who sinned, he replied. Let's be clear about something else. I don't know, when you were reading this, doesn't it seem like the way that it reads, Jesus saying, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but he was born this way so that I can come along and, and, and heal him later on? Didn't your Bible read that way? It seems like it reads that way in mine. I mean, listen to it again. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should, re should be revealed in him. It sounds like he's saying he was born this way so that I can come along and heal him and God would be glorified. But nothing could be further from the truth. Let me just tell you, in the original Greek, they didn't have punctuation. So translators, you'll, you'll put it in the best you can. It, it could actually read like this, very, very clearly, and I think more biblically. is neither this man has sinned nor his parents. Put a period there. So he answers their question, you see. Neither this man nor his parents had sinned. Put a period there. So he answers it. And then he goes on to explain, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is, it is day. Jesus wanted to answer their question, but then move from theological discussions to having compassion. You guys see that? So he's saying, hey guys, let me just answer your question. But I don't want to talk about that anymore. I'm here to do a work. Let's not talk about this, but I'm here right now. I'm the light of the world, and while I'm here, while it is day, I'm here to do a work. And so he's kind of just showing them, there's a ministry right here. Let's quit talking about these things. He wants to move them from this theological discussion to having compassion. Why? Because compassion, uh, uh, theology without compassion is dead, isn't it? It's dead. You, if you just have a lot of knowledge, you get puffed up. You know, you, you want to argue with people. You can look down on people. You know, you just... But God has to mix theology with compassion. The Pharisees had a lot of theology, didn't they? These guys knew their Bible backwards and forward. They, they knew the law. They could cite, cite it by, or, or tell it by memory, most of them, the Old Testament. And we have a problem with like John 3.16. But these guys could, could memorize the Old Testament and recite it verbatim. It's incredible. But they didn't have the spirit of the law, did they? They didn't know mercy. They, they didn't have compassion on people. And that's what Jesus says. You guys are so hard. You, you lay burdens on people. You don't have the, the spirit of the law. And sometimes we can have our theological discussions without compassion. And without compassion, you know, it, it, it's, it's uninvolved. Compassion prom uh, prompts us to take action. So here you are, right? So as you start to, as a Christian, maybe you're along the line a little bit. Maybe, maybe you're going to start praying about something. But maybe something's on your heart right now. You're looking around. You're watching this world. You're seeing things within the church. That, you know, there's holes. Or Rather than be judgmental on those things, ask the Lord what He'd want to do about those things. As you're in the Word, as you're seeking the, the, the Word of, the, of God, as you're praying about these things, 
Where do you go from here? I would say this. As the Lord starts to prompt you to get involved, let the Lord be the Lord. Don't take charge of the situation. Us humans, us, us people, we like to take charge. Once we jump into something, we say, Lord, now I got it. I've seen it done. I've seen it modeled. You know, because don't assume God wants to do something the same way He did it through that person, through you. And this is what I love about the Lord. You guys ever listen to K-Wave? You guys know what that is? 107.9? Some people where we live don't never heard of it. But aren't there a lot of different vessels being used on there? You got like Raw Rees, you know? Blows my mind. You got Damien Kyle, just the way he speaks. I, he says he doesn't have an accent, but certainly he does, but he's brilliant. Don McClure, I think, is still on there. You have, I mean, just David Rosales. You know, he, I, I look at him like Jeremiah, the prophet. He's a crying prophet. He's so passionate about the things of the Lord. J. Vernon McGee, oh, you, you know, beloved. Now, what's unique about all them? Is they're not all Raul Reese, huh? They're, they're not all Damien Kyle. They're just who they are, right? They're, they're not saying God needs to do it the same way He did it through that man, through me. They just let God be the Lord through them. And He used whatever experiences they had, you know, just whatever language they use, vocabulary they have, He just uses people where they are. We can make the mistake of looking around and say, why don't, why don't you want to do it that way? You know, people come to our church and they say, when we first started off, they would say, hey, why don't you do it that way? Our old church does it that way. You know, we, we don't pass a plate. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. My pastor, Costa Mesa, passed the, the offering plate. But, you know, when we first planted the church, my son was four and my, my daughter was just born. I couldn't really have them going through the aisles passing the plate. So we had a box in the back. And as we started to get leaders and elders and ushers and things like that, we prayed about it and we just felt like God said, you know, keep it this way. Helps me to trust. And you know what? It's, a, it's one of those things that God's always used. Because in L.A., I don't know if it's like that here, people are like, ah, oh, the church, all they want is money. You know, you watch certain channels on TV, you would think that's so. And purple hair. Things like that, right? But it, it, they, they love Many people love it. That's just what God has done with us in our church. You see? And, and so it's one of those things. Or, you know, why don't we have a, you know, a, this or that? If we went on every whim, then we would just run ourselves to death. But we've got to just let the Lord do what He wants to do. Here's the thing with Jesus. He doesn't follow patterns. He doesn't follow patterns. He does what He wants to do each, in, in our lives and in our churches uniquely. All I'm saying is be open to doing what, what the, something the Lord wants to do you. Let Him do it totally different, completely different. And I get this from this passage where Jesus didn't follow a pattern when He healed this man, did He? I mean, the, the way He heals this man, could, could he, he have just spoken a word to this guy? Yeah, He could have, couldn't He? And he could have just said, hey, you're healed. Another time, remember, He kind of just used spit in the guy's eyes. 
told him, you know, basically healed him, uh, a couple guys that way. He could have touched their eyes. Another time he, he put spit in their eye. Another guy was kind of like a progressive healing, remember? Oh, I see men like trees. This time he spits in there, makes some, some clay, and he just puts it in the guy's eyes. Doesn't ask permission, does he? I mean, that's kind of odd to you. Can you imagine being the blind guy all of a sudden? Like, what's that? What's, what's, what's he doing to me? If you're watching Jesus, it might even seem mean, huh? Like, what's he doing to that blind guy? Well, this time he made clay and he put it in his eyes. I think Jesus purposely didn't follow patterns because he knows men. He knows us. We have a tendency to look at a pattern and try and systematize it as though it were a magic formula. If Jesus did the clay healings every time, if he spit in the ground, made clay, and put it in eyes, we'd have full-on clay spitting ministries today. But he did it differently so that we cannot systematize this thing and make it a magic formula. If you do one, two, and three, so-and-so will be healed. That's what we do. Men follow patterns. When God does a work, many people come along and then try and copy that work. Why? Because it worked. And people see a, a true thing born of the Spirit, and then they go, you know what, let's, let's energize, let's, let's formulate and do it ourselves. And, and it's just kind of done in the flesh. God wants us to lean on Him and be led of Him alone. We need to be open to, for the Lord to use us in new ways, in unconventional ways, in silly ways, even in our minds. This seems silly, doesn't it? The way He heals this man. There was a, a guy, a brand new believer, guys. Brand new believer. I don't know if I shared this here before, but he was telling this story when he was a, a new believer at Costa Mesa. He was just asking God to use him. And one day he's driving down the street and he feels like God tells him to stop the car and yell in that mailbox that Jesus, love, just, Jesus loves you. You'd almost go, man, I'm going nuts now. I'm going crazy. What is that? So he stops and he's just wrestling with, and he just keeps feeling like the Lord is saying, I, I, I want you to yell in that mailbox, Jesus loves you. And he's like, oh, okay, I've been asking you to use me. This is really odd. This is silly. So he gets out of the car, I guess, and he goes over to the mailbox, he opens it up, and he yells loud, Jesus loves you. And apparently it made like a megaphone sound there was someone across the street that was ready to hang themselves. And they were asking, if you are real, make yourself known right now. And this foolish kid pulls over and yells, for the Lord, Jesus loves you. This guy comes out and the kid saw him, thought, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know? He's like, hey you! He said, I'm sorry, I'm a new Christian. I just felt like God was telling me to do this, you know. I know it's nuts, you know. And the guy's like, no, I was just ready to kill myself. You never know, huh, what the Lord wants you to do. You never know. I mean, rather than just try and do it the conventional way, ask the Lord to, to use you and, and see what He does. Don't compare yourself to others. You're not them. If you want to be used of the Lord, don't compare yourself to others. Because it's discouraging. As a young pastor, I was always discouraged. Because who do you compare yourself to? You compare yourself to the master communicators. 
I'd look at Greg Laurie and I'd go, okay, I quit. <laughs> I mean, seriously. These guys are just excellent communicators. I, I don't even hear like a stutter, you know what I mean? It's like, do they ever stutter? Or, I mean, gosh, they are good. And the Lord's like, well, I'm not making you them. Can you please? I don't want to be me anymore. <laughs> Change me. I'd like to be them. It's humbling to be you. It's humbling to be yourself sometimes. But don't ever say, I can never be like him or her. He doesn't want you to be. I mean, the church is like a mosaic. It's like a wall. And if it was all the same color and all the same pattern, it'd look like that wall, right? But when you want beauty, you do all these different designs and colors and shapes, right? That's you. You're one of those shapes and colors. And the personality God has made you. I finally figured out that God really, He made me me. And that's all He wanted me to be, but the best through His Spirit. And that's all He wants you to be. Just the best through your Spirit. Rather than look around, look up. There's only one person you really want to satisfy. And you may not satisfy everyone else, but you will satisfy Him. And that's all that matters, doesn't it? To hear those words in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. Why the, the Lord healed this man this way, only he knows. But it does show us that he will do things different, right? And so we need to let him do those things differently. He made clay, put it in his eyes, then he told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Now guys, think about this. This guy's blind. This guy was blind when the Lord said this to him. So the Lord doesn't say, let me hold your hand to go down there. He puts this in his eyes and he sends him to go on his own. Find your way down there. We know what last we heard of, he was up at, at the temple. The pool of Siloam, they found it in 2004. It's an amazing pool. It's down on the, the bottom of the city of David. It's a pretty good hike down there. It's beautiful. But they, they just found it. And we had a Bible study there last time we were in Israel. And so this man, it was kind of like a, a rectangle shape with, with stairs coming down, fed by the, the little little creek there. And he would have to go down there. Can you imagine what it looked like for him to walk down there? He's stumbling down there. He's got clay in his eyes. Again, the crowd would be thinking, oh, look, at, someone was mean to this poor guy. Now he's got to go down and wash. All I know is we have to let the Lord be the Lord. And finally, guys, you know when ministry is led by Jesus, you know what happens? Lives change. Yeah, the church might grow. The church might get a name, but that's never the motivation. The motivation are lives. To look around this room right here and see that lives are changing. To see that Jesus Christ knows you. He's working in your life. That the church is made up of individuals that were kind of in the same situation as this man. This man was instantly healed as he came back. Seeing it tells us. What, what is it like for this guy? He was born blind. He wasn't uh, able to see and then going blind. He was born blind. He would never have ever seen his mother's face or a human being's face. He'd never seen anything around him. And then as he starts to wash, he would see perhaps the, the water. And then he would see his face in that water. Then he looks up and he sees those, those, those birds he's only heard about and the, the stones, the beautiful city and people walking around and maybe, you know, wind. You, you just think, uh, 
What does wind look like? Now we realize, oh, that's what it looks like. You can't see it in the first place. But he felt it. All the sounds and stuff. Now he's connecting and he walks back up to this place. I mean, do you think this guy was happy? It kind of reads very simply. That he doesn't tell us anything about it. But do you think he was happy? Absolutely he was happy. Jesus changed his life. He came back and no one recognized him. When Jesus changed your life, you're happy. I love when God works in a life. People can't quite put their finger on it, right? When he came back, what was his neighbor? What were his neighbors saying? It looks like him, but is it him? And he finally says, "Hey, it's me, guys." What? Why did they not recognize him? I would say because his face was a little brighter, wouldn't you say? I would say he was walking different, wouldn't you say that? He wasn't relegated to the same area that he was relegated to before, right? Everything about him changed. Such is the case when someone touches, the Lord touches someone's life. They resemble their former selves, yet they walk differently than they walked before they met him. That is, its essence, a Christian. You become a new creation. Your eyes, your scales fall off. Man. You're, you're seeing things you've not seen before. You got a brightness to you. Your walk is different. You're not relegated to that same little place of life you've been relegated to for who knows how long, where God's given you freedom now. You can walk away from that. You can see now. They look differently. They, there's a clarity to them, a sureness in their footing. And he finally had to tell them, guys, it's me. <laughs> you guys ever had that where your old friends are going, it looks like him. When I gave my life to the Lord, it was just, I was at the end of the end. You guys know, where, you guys all been there if you're a Christian. You're just sick and tired of the world. <laughs> and Jesus showed himself and you just, you clung to him. And, and all of a sudden now your friends are going, that looks like Dan. But he's not relegated to the same areas of life where he used to be. He's walking different. He talks different. Looks different. They, they can't quite put their finger on it, you know, and, and, and so they, all they see is that change. And something else about this guy is they, he didn't need people to help him anymore. You know, when the Lord starts to do in your life, you become dependent on him, and you become a, in a place where you used to be a taker, God then turns it around. Now you're able to be more a little more self-sufficient, or at least God-sufficient. Beggars were blind. Uh, uh, be, uh, blind people were beggars, so he no longer did, he no he was no longer a beggar, was he? That's what we were. I've said this many times, and I, I truly believe this from the Lord. Amy and I both were saved. We had background no different than anybody else. Broken families, alcohol, you know, all this stuff. Yet, God saved us, and we had we had nothing to give him. Nothing to give him. But that was okay, because that's the way he saves people. Comes along and he just says, do you want to be saved? Yes, I got nothing to give you. It's okay. You're a beggar. But let me, let me, let me use that in a different way. You're just one beggar showing an, another beggar where the bread is. I'm the bread. And that's what ministry is. You go from that place where you just have nothing and Jesus comes and makes you everything and now you want to tell people about it. 
It's as simple as that. You're just on one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. By your walk, by your talk, by your freedom, as they start to look at you and they realize something's different about them. Ministry, guys, is about people. Not a church, not a pastor. Jesus wants to open their eyes so that they can see him. So when he starts to show you things, as you start to you know, get in his word, as, as you're listening to Manny or the radio, you're in your own devotions, you're in the word, he's going to show you stuff. Believe me. He'll just put it on your heart. You need to serve. Where, Lord? Start to pray about it. Believe me, he'll show you. He'll show you his eyes. When he starts to show you things through his eyes, your faith will grow to believe things that are possible. It will just start to grow. To believe as these things are stirring in your heart. Those around you might say, what are you looking at? Why does this bother you so much? Why do you think about this so much? And you might even hear, what do you think you can do? My friend Hassan and his wife started a Calvary Chapel. Chapel, How do I say it? Calvary Chapel. I'll just tell you, I'm I'm, I'm intimidated because I know there's a lot of Spanish speakers in here. And I'm, I'm thinking ahead to the next word, Acapulco. And I'm thinking, I need to say that right. Because sometimes when I talk to Hassan and I say, hey, you know when you were in Tecate? He goes, what's Tecate? You mean Tecate? Oh, yeah, whatever you just said when you were there. So he just he burns me all the time. But anyway, he's in Acapulco, him and his wife. It's a paradise, it's beautiful. But you guys know down there there's cartel, right? It's a crazy, crazy world. He's called me many times. Pray for me, Dan, as a, as a father and as a husband. Because I, I, sometimes the enemy gets me. Things are calming down now. But I tell you this, because there will be people who say, well, who do you think, what do you think you can do? When he was ready to leave Calvary Chapel Ensenada with, what is it, Don Domingo down there? Juan Domingo. When he was ready to leave there, he, they presented it to the church. A guy came up to him and said these, these words. I'm really sad that you're going. And Hassan's like, oh, that's great. Because you're the worst teacher I've ever heard. And I feel sorry for those people that, that you're the one being sent. <laughs> and we can laugh about this because pastors hear these things. Believe it or not, you hear these things. And Hassan just said, oh, well, can you just pray for me then? Just humbly, that's all he said. This guy must have been so tore up by that humble response because he became Hassan's biggest cheerleader later on. But the, the, I don't know why. The enemy, he's just there to tear you down. It may not be a voice from outside, it just may come from in. You think it's your own thoughts, it's the enemy. Who do you think you are? Do you know your past? Do you know how unfaithful you are? Uneducated? You can't speak. And all you just start to focus on those things like, yeah, how in the world can God do a work in me? How could he use me? The thing is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? When he says, I'm going to build my church, he died before he built that church, didn't he? And there were 11 men (laughs) like you and me. And how did they build that church? 
They were empowered by the Spirit of God and they used the Word of God. That's, that's the key. So as we're looking around, as you're looking around, you're praying about these things. Maybe you're at the point where you're starting to see it. You see it through faith. The potential there, the opportunity there. This is the way God has led people through the Bible all the way. And it seems nutty sometimes. Because when, when they asked Abraham about, if someone asked Abraham, where are you going? Hebrews says he didn't even know where he was going. This guy should have been retired. You know, he had his little, you know, little palace out there. Paul, why are you going to Jerusalem? You're going to die there. He says, man, i got to go preach there. And when he was beat up, when he was put in prison, you know who showed up at a cell that night? Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, you've witnessed for me in Jerusalem. Now you're going to go to Rome. But everyone else thought he was nuts. It's okay if people think you're nuts. Pray about these things. Let the Lord use you. It's such a time as this, guys. It's, no, it's not the time to be a spectator. Get in the game. Get your uniform dirty. Let me tell you this. If you're bored with Christianity, it's because you're not seeing the face of Jesus. There's nobody that I know who is bored in Christianity that is being used by God. People are, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go to church. Those who are being used by God and are in the game, they're going, I need to get to church because I'm waiting for the next word. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to learn it so I can teach it. But if you're just in that place of, eh, I can take it or leave it, man, you need a fresh revelation. You need fresh vision. And maybe tonight you just pray to the Lord for that. But maybe you're along that trail. Get, get with Pastor Henry and Manny and these guys. Pray. You know, speak to them. That's why leadership is here as well. You don't bypass that. You get to them, you pray, and ask the Lord to do something with them. So Jesus, same yesterday, today, and forever, he still leads us in the same way. His eyes start to pray, starts to give us revelation, does a work, lives are changed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. Lord, and thank you for your beautiful saints here, Lord. Your people whom you love so much. God, that you want to use. Lord, you want to sanctify. Lord, we pray maybe some hearts have grown cold. Lord, just disillusioned with this world or Lord, just from trials in their life that they can no longer see the beautiful face of Jesus Christ. We pray today, tonight, Lord, that they would lift their eyes up. Lord, that you're, you would burn in their heart again. Lord, you're doing a work in this church. We pray you would just set it on fire, Lord. It'd be so bright that others would be attracted to it. But use everybody, and what we might consider, or even in our own heart, one of us, the least of these. Lord, everyone's important, you tell us. And everyone has a gift. Lord, may they seek you diligently, because we know that you're a rewarder. Lord, do that work. Use these people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.